Well, hey, uh, in Romans 8, we're, we're doing kind of a mini-series out of the book of Romans. We, we've been marching through that amazing book, and we came to 8. I just really felt like we should just take a moment and, and talk about a very powerful aspect of what Paul was teaching, and that is the power of living in the Spirit of God, the power of, of walking in, in the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to open your hearts and minds, because I know what it is in church. It's really strange. that We, we say Jesus, everybody's like, yeah. We like God the Father. And we say Holy Spirit, everybody goes, oh. Because depending on your background, depending on your tradition, depending on your teaching, uh, shamefully, many people don't have a, a, a right aspect of the precious gift of the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us. And I hope to help us in that in these coming weeks. So uh, find in your word. If you're on version, uh, go through the events. You can find us there because, of course, we do a lot of notes. It helps you to follow along. But I have a confession to make, and I, I feel like I need to like repent this morning. So last Sunday, Pastor Chad was preaching an amazing message on God's love. Would you agree with that? It is a great message. And so that was the first time I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, you version. I'm going to see how this rolls, you know. And I'm, I'm keeping up on the notes and everything, and I learned something about you version. Turn off your notifications if you want to stay focused in church. Because, Chad, I'm sorry, I'm like following along, and next thing I'm on Facebook, I'm checking my emails, I'm like, because all these nice little notifications pop up, and we're like Pavlov's dog, we can't help but poking it, and saying, all right, let's go. So, I repent. But I challenge you also, turn off your notifications. Let God's word speak to you today. Hey, also, real quick, next Saturday night, our ladies, Taste of Hope, it's going to be a great time together, 5 o'clock, uh, tasting the food of our stories you're going to have a great time together. Pray with me. Father, thank you. God, your word is amazing, God. Father, thank you that, Lord, you are living and active through your word, God, that, Lord, you'd shape us and change us. God, we don't come today just for knowledge. God, knowledge is awesome. It's amazing, God, but it doesn't transform us unless we match that with experience, God. And that's putting our faith in your son, Jesus Christ. So, God, strengthen us today. God, speak to our lives. God, let us not be the same. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Uh, if we were honest with each other when we announced in January we were walking through the book of Romans, most would say, hey, let's get to Romans 8. Because Romans 1 through 7, it's, it's setting a lot of foundation, but a lot of very important truths that we must understand if we're going to fully grasp the salvation God has for us. But Romans 8 is, is really the crown jewel of the entire book. It, it has been described, not only the book is the greatest letter ever written, but this particular chapter is known throughout the centuries as truly the crown jewel. In fact, if I were stranded on a desert island and nobody else was there and all I had was a Bible, the one chapter I would want, if it's all I got, was Romans chapter 8. Because think about it, it's, it's a chapter that starts out with a statement, there is therefore now no condemnation. It begins with that thought. And it ends with there is no separation. Because what can separate us from God's love? What? Nothing, right? No, nothing, anything man could create, nothing can separate us from God's love. It's a book that talks about probably the greatest mystery of the scripture, and that is an understanding of God himself. That he is our, our father, that in the, in the mystery of our God, what can be known about him, we, we know through the word, but yet even what we know about him is, is just minimal compared to what we'll know when we finally see him face to face. But we do know that he's a trying being. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, and he's God the Holy Spirit. 
They were there together as in the beginning. He is with us always and every part of God had a play in our salvation. When you think about it, in the, and when it comes to us being saved, then the, the Father is the one who, who planned it. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children, according to Ephesians chapter 1. It was Jesus, the Son, who, who, who was the means of our salvation. Because he bore upon himself our condemnation. We understand that, right? He bore upon himself our sins, our shame. And he went to the cross for us after living the perfect life, the life that, that showed us the way to live, the way to love, and yet he tasted death for every one of us to offer us eternal life. But it was the Holy Spirit who completes our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit whose work was there before we were saved. It was the Holy Spirit who was convicting us of sin, who was pointing us to righteousness, who was pointing us to God. And yet it was the Holy Spirit who now regenerates and empowers us. And as we'll see, he's the one who breaks the bondage of sin over us. So Jesus paid the price for our condemnation, but the Holy Spirit is the one who breaks the bondage to sin. And he teaches us, he leads us, he prays for us, he helps us. And so in Romans 8, we're going to see all three members of the Godhead working in our salvation. I mean, check this out. In Romans 8, 33, it was God who justified us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It's Jesus, I love this one, it's Jesus who's praying for us. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you know that someone's praying for you right now? And it's not just a, a little old lady or grandma. No, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is interceding for us moment by moment, day by day. And it is finally the Holy Spirit who's helping us in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, when you think about that and you, you take a time with that, it, it ought to do something inside of you. It ought, to, it ought to make us into people that are so gracious and so honoring. Why? Because it leads us to this final triumphant statement in Romans 8.31 where it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What things? That God justified us, that Jesus is praying for us, the Holy Spirit is helping us. What should we say in response to that? If God is for us, tell me what it says. Come on. Come on. What can stand in the way of our salvation? What can stand in the way of our transformation? What can stand in the way of God's will being done in us? He did it all, amen? He worked in us mightily by the work of his Holy Spirit, and now we come to the place where God is allowing us to see what he is doing for us and what he is doing in us. You know, the scripture is so clear. It is so amazing what God has done to show us how much he loves us and how much he cares for our lives. You know, we, we sometimes forget what God does. Sometimes we take it for granted what God does. But I've got good news for you today. God is always at work in your life. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He's not a man that he should lie. He is always active. He's always working. But the question we're going to try to answer in these next two to three weeks is, but how does he work in us? What does he do? What takes place when we are saved? Now, we've been spending a lot of time going over the word justification. And I think it's important, again, just to have a definition for us to work off of today. And, and that is that justification is the act of God whereby the sinner is given faith to believe. Listen, you didn't just come to faith. One day you didn't just wake up and said, I think I'm going to have faith. No, God is the one who gives us the faith to even come to him. And, and, and not only does he give us the faith, but he rece we receive forgiveness of how much sin 
all. That's a big word, isn't it? It's not just the sin that we've been in up to the point of salvation. No, Christ paid the price for all our sin. Sins before, sins now, and sins be All our sin has been forgiven through Christ Jesus, and now we are assigned this righteousness of Christ. That when God sees us, he sees Jesus. When God sees us, he doesn't see our weakness and our failures. He sees the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's why in Ephesians 2, the great anthem of salvation that just says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You ever met someone that saved themselves? Can't do it. You ever met someone that made themselves righteous? Can't do it. On our best day, we fall short of the glory of God if we're honest with ourselves. But it was Christ who gave us his life. God worked through the Holy Spirit and brought us into this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And not only that, in Romans 8, 30, just another great truth of understanding as we're getting into this series. And that is that God said, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What does that say to us? God finishes what he starts. You may be going through a low period. You may be going through a time where you're like, man, I keep just tripping over myself or I, I can't seem to get this into control or I'm struggling with this aspect of my faith. Let me tell you, God finishes what he starts. And he is greater than your sin. He's greater than your weaknesses. He's greater than your traditions. He's greater than anything you face. Why? Because he loves us and he wants us to know him in an amazing way. You see, we have this salvation. It's an amazing salvation. But yet so many Christians don't live in the joy of their salvation. So many believers don't, don't fully embrace what it is to be saved, to be, to be walking in all this. And they, and they struggle, and they live with a lack of joy, frustrated and weak, because they don't understand one key thing, and that is that salvation is always about what God did, not what we are doing. And there's a big, 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 big difference. We're like, oh, I came to faith. I accepted Jesus. I put my confidence in him. I cleaned up my act. I gave away some things. And we get into this egotistical self-salvation where Jesus is kind of diminished and everything is about me because after all, it is about me. But here's the problem. If your view of salvation is what I did to get saved, then your focus will become what I must do to continue being saved. We get legalistic, we get frustrated, we get joyless. We, we become not a lot of fun to hang around with. It, it's, that, it's that old crotchety Christian that just, just hammers everybody because nobody's doing enough or nobody's good enough because why? They're still trying to work out their own salvation and their strength and they want everybody else in the same misery they're in. But it is by grace we've been saved through faith. Not of works so that none of us can boast. You see, too often, many Christians stop their journey with this point of, well, I confess my sin, so therefore I am saved, and yet they try to live out the rest of their lives in their own strength, and they wonder why it's so fruitless, and why it's so hard, and why people walk away. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong, we have a role in our salvation. It's a very simple role, but it's very complex, and that is we believe. We have to come to a point of putting our faith in Jesus. We have to put our faith in what he's done. It's not about walking an aisle or shaking a pastor's hand or going to membership class. There's something that says, I choose to change, but I can't change unless I believe. 
So we do have a role, but it is from God, it is through God, to Him be the glory. That's why Paul in Philippians 1.6 could say, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. But how does he do that? How does it work? Let's get behind the scenes. Let's, let's like a mechanic, let's break it down a little bit and understand how he works in us to carry out this great salvation. Very simple answer up front. It's through the continuous work of the Holy Spirit. It's through the continual and continuous work of the Holy Spirit. We must learn to value that work and enjoy that work and learn to, to listen and to follow the Holy Spirit whom God gave us. In fact, Jesus, when he was going away, he told his disciples it was a love gift. He said, look, guys, it's actually better for you that I go away. Now, now think about that. You've been walking with Jesus. You've seen the miracles. I mean, you've eaten the, the stuff he created. I mean, you know, the loaves and fishes that got multiplied. And, 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 and Jesus one day looks at you and goes, you know what? You're going to be better off if I'm gone. How? How can we be better off? I mean, we get to see it. We get to taste it. We get to feel it. He said, no, no, no. He said, because if I don't go away, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, cannot come to dwell in you, to be with you always. You see, Jesus was localized. But now everywhere we go, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, working in us. But a lot of people still just kind of deny his existence, push him away, and, and take everything on to themselves. In fact, so often, sadly, I find believers' lives describe more as hanging on than moving forward. And Paul would say these things should not be in his wonderful way of, of stating things, right? He says, no, we don't get saved to hang on. We, say, we are saved to move forward because now we are Christ's ambassadors and we are witnessing Christ and representing him everywhere we go. So why, why, why do people struggle with that? Why do people struggle with the Holy Spirit? I, I think really there's two things. I think a lot of it's lack of knowledge, to be honest with you. Just this lack of teaching, lack of the word being taught. They're taught. We are taught experiences, we're taught opinions, but we need to be taught the word of God. But the other thing I think so many people shy away from embracing the work of the Holy Spirit is because of how other, other believers talk about it and act about him. There's an elitism among some in the body of Christ about the Holy Spirit because he's become an it to get and not the spirit of God to follow. Others struggle because of excess emotionalism. Hey, we're not all wired to shout hallelujah and dance a dance. You know? It's not how high you jump, it's what you do when you land. You know, as you walk it out. Now, let me tell you, don't deny who you are. When God creates you, some of you are needed to, be to, to excite some of the deadness in others, okay? But, but can I tell you, we're not judged based on emotionalism because the Holy Spirit's not about emotionalism, but he is about the gifts of his Spirit working in us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, protecting us, and correcting us. You see, a lot of people base their knowledge of the Holy Spirit based on experience. And a lot of times the experience they're basing is on just not biblical. And they don't take time to, to get into God's word and say, show me, teach me, let me, let me understand your word. Can I tell you honestly, we spend more time prepping for fantasy football than learning about the Holy Spirit. We spend more time decorating our room out of Pinterest than we do with the Holy Spirit. And we wonder why so many believers are a bad witness of what it is to be full of God's love and full of God's joy because they're walking around always focusing on how do I work out my salvation? But God says, no, it's not you that works it. 
it's the Holy Spirit in you. It's the Holy Spirit working. You're going to see this today. Here, that, I'm sorry, that was just introduction. We're now we're going to get into the sermon, all right? So we will get out on time, all right? I promise you. But, but right in this Romans chapter 8, he starts breaking it out and showing us the difference of what, what the Holy Spirit does. It's interesting, in Romans 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit's mentioned once, one time. But in Romans 8, he's mentioned 20 times or over 20 times, depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading. All of a sudden, Paul is like pivoting and saying, look, I've shown you what God has done. I've shown you what Jesus has done. Now let me introduce you what the Holy Spirit wants to do and is doing in you when you learn to follow him. He is at work transforming us. Romans 8, 9 is kind of our theme verse. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Key truth. The Holy Spirit at salvation takes up residence in every one of us. Do we, yeah, shake your head, agree? If we don't give that one, we're, we're up a creek, right? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And we become this amazing word. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the old days, there was the temple where God's presence would come when they sacrificed and rituals and all this. But he said that that was a momentary thing. He said, now we, you and I, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. Can I tell you, when you get that picture right, you start treating humans a whole lot better. When you, when you get that picture right, you start treating your body a whole lot better. Because guess what? You only got one temple. And you only have one way to take care of it so the Holy Spirit can work in you and work through you. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, just maybe you're doubting here for a second, it says, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's probably one of my number one prayer starts. I'm always like, God, I am not my own. I am bought with a price, God. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying, where do you want me to go, God? What do you want to do in me today, Holy Spirit? What do you want to do through me? We're going to talk about that. That's, that's living in the life of the Spirit because there's two things the Holy Spirit does we're going to focus on today. There's more than this, but two we're going to cover today. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is powerfully working in everyone who's put their faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit is powerfully working in every one of us, and not just on Sunday. Can I tell you, He's not here waiting on you all week long. He's not like... Oh, I can't wait till Sunday and they come and I've got their attention and it's going to be great. Well, like, man, we're hanging out. This is good. No, he's at work with us all the time, constantly, consistently. What's he doing? He's helping us. He's strengthening us. He's changing us from the inside out, making us more and more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 5 says this. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on the, what the Spirit desires. Now, now, this is key to understand. Paul's not talking about two subsets of Christians here, okay? Well, there's those spiritual Christians and there's those fleshly Christians. Sorry, I didn't mean to look at y'all on that. That was just an <laughs> example, okay? You know, he wasn't saying there were two subsets. He says, no, there's really two subsets of people, period. There are the saved and the unsaved. There's those that are under God's wrath and those that, that are, are not under, that are under God's grace. There are those with the mind on the flesh and there are those with the mind on the spirit. So we have to understand the difference between the flesh and the spirit. So what's the flesh? It's not this. <laughs> it's not this. There's nothing corrupt about this. 
it just gets old and ages and it happens, all right? And those of you that are under 20s, enjoy, okay? But there's nothing wrong. There was a, there was a big thought back up in the early church that this flesh was evil. No, no, it's not, it's not our bodies. There, the flesh means this. The flesh is the fallen, unredeemed, egocentric human nature. It's all about me, right? It's the sinful, selfish, unsaved state of mind, all right? Everything's focused on me. It's all about me. I, I do what I want. I do it when I want it. I do it with whomever I want to, right? It's a disposition that says, this is the way I want to do life, and nobody can tell me any differently. This is the way I want to live. So our desires, our thinking, our emotions, our actions line up then with our beliefs. You see, what the flesh really is is a worldview. It's a worldview that is worldly rather than godly and is self-centered rather than Christ-focused. So how do you apply that? If that's what the flesh is, how do you embrace that? What do you say, well, God, where am I in this mess? I really think you have to ask a couple of questions. You know, questions help us. They help us understand. One, one question I think we need to ask is simply this. What, what is it that frames or creates the parameters of what you want out of life? Are your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, are they because God's put something in you or are you just living out uh, maybe a family tradition or a selfish desire? What are the parameters? What, what, are, what, is the, what is the context of how you want to live out life? You see, when you, when you think about that, you've got to define it. Because we have to ask ourselves, are we living in a relationship to God or are we more in a relationship to the world? Because when our mind is set on something, we understand this, when our mind is set on something, it means we are preoccupied with it. And it captures your attention. It captures your imagination. Because whatever you have your mind set upon shapes your lifestyle and also shapes your character. You see, so much of it is the renewing. Remember, Paul says, by the renewing of our minds, we are made like Christ. So we ask ourselves, what are the parameters? And we ask ourselves the second question is a hard question. How do you know you're saved? I get asked that a lot. That's kind of second to what is God's will for my life. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But how do I know I'm saved? You know, well, well did you cry a lot? Did you, did you fill out a card? Did you, I mean, you can really mess with people's minds when, if you want to about how you know you're saved, but that's not anything to do with that. It really comes down to, if we ask that question, have you set your mind on the spirit or have you set your mind on the flesh? It's the biggest difference. Because out of that, you'll either see change that is brought by God or you're back into this work where now I am changing myself because I'm all about self-improvement. I'm all about making myself better. I'm going to be a great leader. And we just, it's all based on us. Can I tell you, that's not salvation. Salvation begins in us and it comes through us. We are changed from the inside out. Your life is going to reflect where your mind is set. So Paul breaks it out in the scripture. He says, let's talk about the flesh. Let's just talk about the examples of what it is when our minds are set on the flesh. Romans 8, 5 said that, that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. I, I like the world. I want what the world offers. I, I, I want it now. I'm not willing to wait on it. And, 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 and I just I just where I'm at. And, it, and it's not that a person whose mind is on the flesh doesn't think about God. They just think about God last. Or they don't think about him often. If, if, if they have a top 10 desires in life, God is like 10.5. He's somewhere way below the line. Because after all, all they see is what this world has to offer. And that's all they see is their existence is right now here. 
But sadly, according to God's word in Romans 8, 6, the mindset on the flesh leads to death. The mind governed by the flesh is death, the scripture says. You say, what do you mean? We're still alive. Yes, we are alive. But, but remember Paul was talking about before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses of sin. Though physically alive, everything in us was dead. We could not relate to the environment around us. It's like, it's like the example I gave. You know, if a, if a person was driving under the influence, and they got in a wreck and they killed somebody, but they died also, the cop is not going to come up and give a ticket to the dead person. They can't respond. They, they don't relate any longer to anything in this realm. So a dead person can't relate. So, so a, a person whose mind is set on the flesh, they can be aware of there is God. They can be aware of his presence. They just can't respond to him. There is no connection. There's no trust. And it's lived out in the very practical ways of our day. I mean, let's be honest here. How many have ever worried? If you had a third hand, you're like, yeah, that's me. Right? We worry. We're concerned. That's what parents are. We're concerned. We won't admit to worrying. But, but here's the difference between flesh and the spirit. If your mind is set on the flesh, can I tell you, worry becomes debilitating. It becomes overwhelming. It begins to control your life and your actions. Why? Because you fail to recognize you're a child of God and you serve a God who works all things for the good, who those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. What you're doing is, if you are mindset on the flesh, then you get into what I call over-worry, and it's, it's when you, re, you, you forget the things of the Spirit. You, you forget that God is at work. You're like, you forget God is at work in your kids. You forget God is at work in your finance. You forget God is at work. We were sharing this in the Freedom Group the other day. With anything we don't surrender to God, then we are responsible to maintain. That's where worry really comes in, because now it's all on us. So it's death. Here's the third thing. The mindset in the flesh is hostile to God. That's kind of tough, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I wasn't like angry at God and you're like just telling him off all the time. What, what does it really mean to be hostile to God? In, in our minds, it, it's, it's like Jesus when he was teaching on, on um, the power of money. He was saying, you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, the spirit of the world over here. He said, said God is a jealous God. There's really no neutral ground in this, in this ability to, to have a split mind so much. Oh, I'm serving the world, but I'm serving God. That's not possible. So it creates in us this, this rejection of the one who saved us. And we see it all around us today. We, we see it. We, we, we see it when we're, <clears throat> we struggle with, how do I fit into this world? You know, how, how, do I, how do I act like the world so that I'm not like called out? How do I, how do I live in such a way like I'm, I'm the incognito Christian at work because I don't want anybody asking me hard questions or anything. And, and we, we get more preoccupied with fitting in the world than walking in the spirit. And if we're not careful, we start jettison, jettisoning, jettisoning the Bible and the God of the Bible. And no longer are we interested in what does God say? It's, well, what does culture say? Or what do I feel? Or what do I think? And, and we get all caught up in following more of what the world seeks because, again, it goes back to that extreme individualism. Well, it's all about me. I, I don't want to make wave I, I don't want to have an opinion i don't want to i don't want to talk about anything so i'm just gonna, god it's personal no we we create this hostility because we can't be one side one or the other we're all in or not you see if, if god is not our god in everything then then we create our own god and he becomes a reflection of our values not one who judges our values by his word and again we get preoccupied with self and we lose that fact 
fact, so often, I, people whose minds are set on the flesh, about the only time they talk about God is when something bad happens. Why did God allow that? A loving God would not let that happen. It shows no knowledge at all of the Word of God, no knowledge of all of humanity. It's just selfishness, again, of saying, well, if I were God, how many know that if I were God, none of us would be here? Sorry. We'd been toast a long time ago. Me first. No. We can't play that game because it creates this hostility to God. Let me move on. There's a fourth thing about the flesh it says in the Scripture. The mind set on the flesh will not submit to God's law. If you come up against God's Word and there's an attitude or there's an action or a habit and you see clearly in God's Word it says, no, that, that should not be, then everything in you says, well, well, I'll do it my way. And what happens is we can't submit because there's no lordship. And then finally, the mind set on the flesh cannot please God. You know... I, I do. I, I meet people that have this mindset, and I, I've been there before, and that is we want God to be satisfied with whatever we choose to give him. And we, we take this mindset, it's like, well, God, I'm not so bad. I mean, if you looked at Justin, I'm a lot better than Justin, you know? That's, that's come on, you, you know, we can compare a little bit. Or it's those Christians that live down the road, you know, we, we treat our dogs better than they do, so God, you know, you really have to put your hope in us, and and what happens is we, we kind of give God our crumbs. Well, God, I go to church like once every like 1.5 times a month. Don't you, aren't you excited about that, God? Because I'd rather be at the lake than spending time worshiping and being part of the body of Christ. And if that's where we're at, and this is going to sound really harsh, but if that's really where we're at, and our mind is set on the flesh, then according to Paul, according to the word of God, you're not a Christian. And I would be doing ministerial malpractice just not to say it. Because I don't want to, you know, we're going to come to a point where we're all going to stand before God someday, and I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed people go, wait a minute, my church told me all I had to do was sign a card. Wait, 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 I prayed the prayer. You know, I, I gave like a dollar every once in a while. I mean, come on, I earned it. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with where our mind is. Is there a transforming taking in us? Is there a change happening in us? Here, here's the good news. Romans 8, 9, we read it earlier, but see it in a different vein. It says, you, however, so here's the change, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You see, when a person comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in them from that moment. The Holy Spirit begins to work in them to change them, and they become a new person. We say this a lot at altar calls. We say it a lot when we're trying to lead someone to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Something's happening. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years. It doesn't mean you struggle with God sometimes, but something inside of you has connected to a God who saved you and gave his life for you. Something inside of you is connected now to the work of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell, can I tell you, when I got saved, I didn't, I didn't get to attend like a new believer's class so they could tell me what I should do now. I just started noticing like, wow, I see things differently. My attitude is changing. Oh, it took a long time to clean up a lot of stuff, and God is still cleaning up stuff. But can I tell you, it, no one had to tell me I was changed. It was happening within me. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit 
does. He's working in me. He works on our desires, our attitudes, our outlook, our values. Why? Because he is at work in us. Here's a simple way to remember this. If there is no root, there is no fruit. I, I don't ever want to be the pastor that duct tapes fake fruit to your life. You know? Well, God, we duct taped them. That was all right. No, if there's no root, there's no fruits. If something's not planted, it's not going to produce. When you are saved, how do you know it? The Holy Spirit confirms in you. Something's different. I've changed sides. <laughs> I, I'm coming to the other team, not, not because by choice, but by my belief. And now he begins to work in me and work through me. Why? Because here's what the Holy Spirit does according to God's word. In Romans 8, 5, the Holy Spirit, first of all, he changes our thinking. Remember, we're back to our mindsets. That worldview that we have, is it godly or godless? Is it, is it about me or is it about God serving others through me? But the Holy Spirit changes our thinking. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, I'm going to help somebody out here right now. That is not the same thing as sitting around all the time talking about theology and religion. I remember someone like, oh, if your mind is set on the spirit, then man, you're just like, oh, your head's in the clouds. You're, you're always quoting scripture and you're, hey, let's talk about that Greek and the Hebrew and, and then let's just really get into that. Now, it's, it's, that's not what he's talking about. It's not that our mind is on the spirit. So now we're always thinking about theology and we're going to debate and all that. We're going to be knowing everything. No, the spirit who works in us will do everything to draw our attention to what he is doing. You see, we become preoccupied with what the Spirit is doing. And not, not what are we going to do, not, not what the world's doing around us. We, be, we become preoccupied and we begin to care about things like who God is and, and what He thinks and, and what He reveals about Himself in Scripture and he want, what He wants to do in us. We, 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 get, we, we get to this point where we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, before Christ, sin is sin disobedience it's breaking the law you don't care but, 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 but when you become a believer and you do that which you know you shouldn't do or don't do what you should do it's not this oh i broke the law i gotta start over again it's like in a marriage relationship i did something to hurt my wife i said something unkind or whatever and there's a there's that oh and you know it and husbands you know what you get all pride on the wall like it didn't happen for a while but if you really love her, you ultimately come back and you're like, baby, I blew that. I'm sorry. That's, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. It's different. It's not that I, oh, well, you know, I'm just flesh. I tried. Get over it. No, there, there's something, there's a heart attachment now. There's a change inside of us that says, no, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So in life, when I have to choose between God's way and the world's way, can I tell you, God wins all ties. If there's, if there's ever a point where I say I have to choose between God and the world, God should always win, no matter what that means. And parents, listen to me carefully. In this world today, everything is pushing you to put your kids first before they experience God. He should break all ties. Do we go to church today? Well, I don't know. Let's see what else we can do. Do we, do we join this class? Do we grow in the Word? Do we go to youth? God should break all ties, not because the church is everything, but because He's everything. All Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your spirit, your body. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself. 
Why? Because in Christ, we've been adopted. We've been welcomed. We've been loved. So we start our day asking, I, here's, here to me is a real key of this, two questions I think should really come into all of our lives. The first one is this, is to start our day and say, Holy Spirit, what am I doing that does not involve you? We ask that question as a team around the church sometimes. We're like, what are we doing as a church that the Holy Spirit wasn't involved, we would keep doing and everybody think it'd be awesome because it's all just flesh. I tell you, what we do on Sunday mornings, if it's just our talent, our abilities, it's worthless. So what are, what are we trying to do, God, that doesn't involve you? And then the second question right below it is, Holy Spirit, what are you doing that I'm not involved in? So, so what are you working around me? What, are you, what, are, what am I created for? How do I discover? Can I tell you, and this will be in a few weeks, I think the whole concept of discovering God's will for your life has done damage to, to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because we're looking for an occupation, we're looking for a direction instead of waking up daily and saying, today, God, what do you want to do through me at work? God, today, in my relationship, what do you want to do? God, today, in my, in my, in my network, what do you want me to do? So these two questions frame our minds now because he is bringing life into us. Here's something, and again, I'm, some of this sounds so harsh this morning, but I'm trying to lay the foundation. If our view of God if our love for God, if God is not more important to us now than he was five years ago, something's not right. Because our faith is progressive. He is moving in us. It doesn't mean we have valleys. It doesn't mean we have lows. It doesn't mean we have times. But look over the course of time, and am I, am I, am I walking in the Spirit, or am I just all back here trying to figure it out myself again? Because guess what? If you don't surrender, you've got to maintain it. If you own it, you own it. But God says we didn't own salvation. He did. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit does. He creates life in us. He creates life in us. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. When something's alive, it's fruitful, right? When something's alive, it's creative. When something's alive, something is different about us. It's the, it's the difference between your Christmas tree and the tree that's planted out in your yard. One is growing, producing fruit. One, you just hang fruit on it, and it just kind of looks good for a season. And then it's gone. Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Guys, let me help you out. That is not a list for you to produce by yourself. Oh, I'm going to be more patient in my marriage. I'm going to be more patient with my kids. I'm going to just will myself into it. Can I tell you, you don't see the tree out there going, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. No, it's the life in the tree that produces fruit naturally. So it's the Holy Spirit working in us. Romans 8.10 says this clearly. It says that, um, but if Christ is in you, then even your, your body is subject to death because of sin. But the Spirit gives life and because of righteousness. He is constantly working in me. He, he, this, this, if you want to write this down in your notes, he is constantly correcting us. Not, not, not condemning us, but yet he'll convict. He's bringing correction. Why? Because he's revealing truth to us. He's constantly directing us. What do we, he, he's guiding my path. He's guiding my steps. He is protecting us, but he's also perfecting us. There's, there's that change inside out. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul wrote, he said, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed. How often? Every day. Every day. Oh, this old body's going to die, but my spirit lives on for eternity. It's being renewed. Why? Because of God working in me. And finally today, the Holy Spirit produces peace for us. Romans 8, 6. For the mind governed by the flesh is death, 
But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We, we, we receive the peace of God in us, but He also creates peace through us. That's why it is so good. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when believers dwell together in unity. How, how good it can be when you're with a group of believers and you can just be yourself. How, how good and peaceful it can be when we stop judging ourselves by ourselves and comparing ourselves and said, it is God who's working in me and I'm on his pace, I'm on his rhythm, I'm on his time. So I don't feel the need to perform to make you think I'm better than I am. I'm walking with him. He produces peace in us. And finally today, I said there were two truths. We're going to wrap up with this one. And that is the simple thought of this. It's simple, but it's not. The Holy Spirit will powerfully resurrect us. Now, I know in our life, we're like, okay. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that do for me right now? Why, why is that important? Why, why is that important? Listen, if he will powerfully resurrect us, then he will powerfully transform us now. Why, how do we know that? According to Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Listen, if I can trust him for my salvation, if I can trust him for my resurrection someday, then can I tell you right now, I can trust him for my transformation because his power is greater than anything ever we've experienced on this earth. I want to close with what Paul said to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. Check this out. He says, but we are citizens of what? He didn't say we will be citizens of heaven. Did you notice that? He said we are citizens of heaven. You know, when you get saved, listen, you don't just get like a t-shirt when you get baptized. You get a new spiritual passport. It's like, no, I, I'm part of the United States, but guess what? I'm also got dual citizenship. I am a citizen in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior for he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control god did not send his son to live a life that we read and see and go that's that's living he didn't send his son to bear upon himself our sins our weaknesses our failures he didn't send his son to die a cruel death on the cross and rise on the third day so we can get by. He did all of that so we could be renewed, changed, transformed. Christ did not die for a better version of you. He died for a new you. 